You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome to the program. Made it to a Friday. It's a Traeger Meat Friday. Chili dogs later on today on the Traeger here on The Dan Patrick Show. Yesterday afternoon, I was sitting around. I was by myself. And I started to think about the call we had yesterday from Cody in Tennessee. Played in the SEC. And he's a punter. And we were talking about recruiting. And I started to laugh out loud that here is a punter in the SEC who got a Tahoe. Now, I don't know what the quarterback got, but he, the punter, got a Tahoe. He said, yeah, I went down to the dealership and I filled out the paperwork. And then the guy who runs the dealership made the payments for me. I got a used Tahoe. Welcome to the SEC. By the way, I don't know if you guys uh, heard this, but Paul Feinbaum, he is uh, the fine commentator for ESPN and uh, the voice of the SEC. He was on that popular show, Get Up, and he talked about Nick Saban being on the hot seat and said this. I don't want to, this to sound blasphemous, but time is running out on Nick Saban. Uh, it's been two years since he's won a national championship, two seasons. That's a long time. He hasn't gone that far or that long at Alabama uh, since the early part of his career there. And I think this is his best team. Uh, the season is unknown at this point. However, uh, there are many other programs catching up a little bit it's no longer you can no longer make a blanket statement nick saban's going to win a bunch of national a bunch of national championships all right that's paul feinbaum with i believe paul's dog barking in the back there but uh all right at least we're talking some football here i got a punter getting a car in the sec and nick saban's on the hot seat all right i'm good with that we're slowly moving past this pandemic yes paul in the past uh, five seasons, Nick Saban has six losses in five seasons. <laughs> Two of those losses are in the national title game. So during the regular oh season, he's lost three games in the past five years. I don't know what, like Nick Saban on the hot seat means what? If Nick Saban somehow gets back to the national title game or he goes to the final four and he doesn't win a title, if he doesn't win a title in the next two years, does Nick, would Alabama ever fire Nick Saban? Yeah, McLevin. This is a joke, right? He's being totally funny, isn't he? It can't possibly be. I don't know. I don't know if you try to be funny when you're on the show. Get up. It's <laughs> pretty true. serious. Yeah, see. But it, right. I mean, he, he can't possibly be serious, though. <laughs> yeah, Paul. I didn't listen to the rest of it, but the only angle you could see down south looking at Nick Saban is if he loses a couple more national titles or another national title to Clemson this year. Mm. Everyone has always said that Dabo Sweeney would want to be the Alabama head coach someday. He's younger. He's got a longer future ahead of him. That is the only mitigating factor here is that if somehow Dabo said, I do want the Alabama job, that could happen in the next three or four years when it didn't seem like that could ever happen. I don't know if Nick's on the hot seat, but if he's on the hot seat only because of Dabo Sweeney's success at Clemson, and I've maintained I would rather, if I'm Dabo Sweeney, stay at Clemson Although what's been going on at Clemson, maybe he'll look for a way out uh, and maybe Alabama would be that escape there for him if he actually, and maybe escape is a strong word there. But if I'm Dabo Sweeney, I stay at Clemson. You're building a dynasty there. You don't need to go. If you go to Alabama, then you're compared to Nick Saban. Stay at Clemson. Creating your own legacy there. Yeah, McLevin. There's no, I'm a system guy, right? Alabama's not the system. It's 100% Saban. Yeah. Before it's him, they, what, I don't remember, was, when's the last championship? The 90s? 
Yeah, they. I, I think 91 with George Teague and those guys. Yeah, they didn't have a good run there of coaches. And you know, as a result, a good run of players. But uh, Nick coming in and now Dabo Sweeney. But I don't know, just kind of when I heard Paul Feinbaum say it, and I, I have great respect for Paul, but thinking he's on the hot seat here. You, you know, you're not winning championships. Yeah, you're getting to the championship game, though. Yes, McLovin. You're right. It is fun to talk. It's back. <laughs> I mean, college football, does it, doesn't it engender itself to these kind of arguments all the time? Yeah, a little bit. But And look, maybe it's just a, a hot take from Paul, but I just like that it was actually had something to do with something that's closely related to actual football. Yeah, Paul. But if you look at it, Alabama fans are quite spoiled the past 10 years. Last year, Alabama went 11-2 and two and won the Citrus Bowl. That's a disaster. That is horrendous. And you, I'm not, you think I'm joking. If you're an Alabama football fan, that was a poor season. Okay, but. For them. If they don't win the title in the next two years, do you think that Nick Saban would be fired? Because if you're on the hot seat. No, not fired. Okay, but if you're on the hot seat, what happens when you're on the hot seat? You get fired. But if behind the scenes somehow Dabo Sweeney said, got it to Alabama's management, got it to the athletic director and president, that I'm ready when you call, mm. that changes things. This is not a traditional situation. But you would have to fire him. Because if you bring in Dabo Sweeney, we know what it looks like and feels like and what it is. You're firing Nick Saban. I can't imagine that Nick Saban's on the hot seat given the success. Now, Jim Harbaugh, why is it Jim Harbaugh's not on the hot seat and Nick Saban is? Dabo Sweeney calls Michigan, <laughs> Jim Harbaugh's on the hot seat. Let me tell you that. <laughs> Yes, McLovin. Dabo Sweeney wants no part of the SEC schedule. He's got <laughs> oh, he's got that ACC schedule, dude. You want to follow Nick Saban in Alabama and start playing good teams? No, I. Yours, he loves that schedule. I would at stay at Clemson absolutely, positively. Yes, Todd. Would Mar- was Marv Levy ever on the hot seat four straight Super Bowls, even though he lost all four? Was there ever any talk after any one of those four, even after the fourth one, that the, it's time to move on? I don't it's, remember it's, it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Paul. Nick Saban's 68 years old. Dabo is 50. That is a drastic difference. If you told me, if I had to put a week's pay that in five years the head coach of Alabama is Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney, I would take Dabo in the next five years, not two years. Yeah, but we're talking about being on the hot seat. Right. This will be, hey, Nick, we want to make it seem like you're stepping down. Even though if Dabo Sweeney takes over, we know Nick is being encouraged to step down. All right. I got sidetracked here. But, uh, hey, that's the program. It was fun to talk a little bit of sports there. Talk some college football. All right, uh, welcome to the program. It's hour one on this Friday. Coming up, we'll uh, talk to Chris Mad Dog Russo, one of the uh, first real popular uh, radio hosts, sports radio hosts, him and Mike Francesa on the fan. Mike and the Mad Dog. So Chris will join us. And he also works for the MLB Network. I thought Chris would be passionate about what's going on with Major League Baseball right now. Are we going to have a season? And, of course, we love to blame people. So we'll talk to Chris about who's he putting the blame on right now. Your uh, phone calls are always welcome. 877-3DP-SHOW. We're going to have Judd Apatow on. He's got a new movie, The King of Staten Island, with uh, Pete Davidson, Marissa Tomei, Bill Burr in that movie. Uh, We'll talk to him a little bit later on. Doug Williams, the former quarterback, Super Bowl winning quarterback with the Washington Redskins. There's going to be a film based on his life. And uh, Doug will join us coming up next hour. It will be, uh, I'm guessing, pretty powerful, pretty emotional, because he's going to talk about all the things that he went through to try to stay in the NFL 
And uh, at one point he said, I was a starting quarterback and I was the 54th highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And if you do the math, that means just about every backup quarterback was making more than Doug Williams was. We'll talk to Doug, who is not the first African-American quarterback drafted in the first round. I believe Al Davis and the Raiders had a a quarterback back in the late 60s. Do you have his name, McLovin? Eldridge Dickey, I believe. Eldridge Dickey. That was AFL, people are pointing out. Okay. So the drafts were a little different, right? Yes. Well, the AFL was taking uh, players from historically black colleges. The AFL was instrumental in in giving these players a chance to play. Uh, And there were a lot of these players who, if they had, they might not have been drafted by the NFL, or if they did, they would have gone late. But the AFL opened their doors and brought in these great players from, you know, uh, historically black colleges. Yeah, McLovin. Yeah, we said Tennessee State, uh, but he never played quarterback once he got to the. the Raiders, he moved to wide receiver. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what I remember him from. Yeah. Because I was surprised that you didn't remember him very well. Yeah. I remember the name, but I don't remember him ever playing quarterback. Yeah, never took a snap with the Raiders at quarterback. All right. We'll come up with a poll question. We got a stat of the day. We got a play of the day as well. And I don't know if you're like me and you completely switched up your weekend routine during the pandemic because gone are the countless hours sitting on my couch watching TV. I get to spend quality time with my family. I'm even starting projects around the house. In fact, I've started a lot of projects around the house. I don't finish the projects, but I've started a lot of them. But I'm happy to say all that productivity is going straight out the window because the Charles Schwab Challenge, not normally must-see TV, it might as well be the Masters to me, watching it yesterday. And... I don't care who's in this. I know that they've talked about some of the big names are in there, but I'm gladly uh, entertained by Kevin Kistner or Ian Poulter, Mark Leishman or Kevin Na. Doesn't matter. I know the Tiger's not there, but, you know, Brooks Kepka's there. You got Rory there, uh, Jordan Spieth. But uh, those household projects are less and less likely to uh, get done. Looking forward to spending my Sunday afternoons watching somebody else work there. Uh, McLevin, what kind of poll question do you have for me today? We have all sorts of inane poll questions. It's inane poll question Friday, if you're okay with that. Inane poll question Friday. This program brought to you by Raycon. These are great wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash Patrick. Buyraycon.com slash Patrick. You want to make sure you hear that music. It's got a great fit in your ear. Uh, Raycon, great wireless earbuds. All right, McLevin, what do you have for me? First question. It's Chili Dog Friday here at the Man Cave. Mm. Do you prefer a chili dog or a hot dog with ketchup and mustard? Because that was the uh, this side of the glass. Huge, fiery debate this morning. I can like both, right? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. But you're at a ballpark. You have one in front of you, oh. which you tend to do. If I'm at a ballpark, hot dog. If I'm doing a like a barbecue, then I'm doing chili dog. Good call. Yeah, yeah, Paul. I love chili dogs. I grew up on chili dogs. But chili dog, you want to be in a more controlled setting, like a backyard or like a burger stand where you're kind of not with people around watching, kind of like barbecue ribs. Yeah, I got to control the environment there. Right. Yeah, see. That's a good call. Yeah. So I'm a little more of a hot dog purist, I think, and that I just go mustard. Mm. But Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the occasional chili dog, there must be room for it, right? But I, I didn't grow up in a big chili dog area like Paul did. McLovin, what else do you have? <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like we have a winner there. But okay, a couple <laughs> other questions. Uh, Henry Ruggs, the Raiders' first-round pick, 
hurt himself moving badly, apparently, but he's okay right now. If a friend asks you to help them move, what is your most likely response? Yes, what can I do to help? Maybe, how much stuff do you have? Or C, no under any circumstances. No, what I say is, you know, I have a guy that I work with. His name is Tyler, the moderator. Let me call Tyler because Tyler will help out. For real? Yeah. You know, you pay him, but I would have time. I'm not lifting anything. What about a while ago? Like, no, no. The best money I spend is when I spend it on somebody else to do some work. What else do you have? Okay, you're getting some shaking heads over what? here. What? What? The... You wish the friend wouldn't ask you to help them move, but if they ask you to help them move, you you kind of have to say yes. Depends on what we're moving. I got asked about four years ago to help a buddy in Vermont just load up a truck of stuff, and it was raining, and it was sloppy and messy, but he needed help. He was in a jam. Mm. And he probably could have hired a mover, but it wasn't that big of a move. In that situation, I felt obliged, and it didn't bother me. Yeah, see. Yeah, I think there's if you're asked, you must go. It's kind of that's why it's it's asking people is so tricky. But you you know you got to provide like some pizza and beer or something like that. Oh but, yeah, pizza and beer. But somebody asks you to move, you can't be like, oh, I can't. Well, I could because I'd say, man, this back, man, it acts up. Oh man, you know I had shoulder surgery recently. I had my knee replaced, and man, I'd love to. Yeah, McLovin. What if you're Henry Ruggs? You just got drafted at number thirteen. He's overall. got money. That's where Henry Ruggs says, as a good buddy, you know what I'm going to do? Yeah. I'm going to go and get somebody to help you move. By the way, I've I've moved a hundred times in my life and never got hurt. Never got stabbed? (laughs) Nope. Not once. That feels like it goes back to a story that I was told by uh, Rob Dibble, the former Nasty Boy. And he said that uh, their players were out drinking one night and a guy stepped off the curb and really hurt his ankle badly. And uh, I don't know if he broke his ankle, but uh, severely sprained it. The next day, they got him to the ballpark, got him in uniform, got him in the outfield. And then he fell down as if he just fell down out there and convinced management that he had gotten hurt in the field and had nothing to do with drinking the night before. What else do you have, McLovin? Okay, uh, golf question for you guys. Uh, This is curious. Would you rather have, if I give you one, a hole-in-one or take two shots off your handicap in a year? Which is a more satisfying thing? I'm just curious because uh, there's been a few hole-in-ones on social media and tournaments lately. What's a bigger deal for golfers? I don't golf like that. I don't know. Well, it depends on what my handicap is. If it's 25 and I go to 23, who cares? But if I get a hole-in-one, a lot of people care. Now, if if I'm a five and I go down to a three, then I would take that over a hole-in-one. If you're comfortable answering this, do you know your handicap right now? I'm not sure. No, because I haven't played enough. In the last six years, I haven't played enough to get a handicap, but I'm probably uh, maybe 11 or 12, something like that, I'm guessing. I was down to a five at one point when I didn't care about my career or my family, but uh, I was reminded by my wife that I should care about both of those. Yes, Paul? Do you think the average person listening out there knows what a golf handicap is if you don't play golf regularly? Uh, Probably not. Because I, I, when, I, when I was young and I didn't really understand the phrase because it was just getting into golf. But I was like, my handicap's eight. I was like, I'm like oh, yeah. I would just nod my head at people because I didn't know what it meant. Well, Tiger's handicap. So Tiger has a handicap. And Tiger's handicap is eight and a half, but the other way. So he would have to give, so minus eight and a half to par. 
I think is what his hand is something crazy. That's what his handicap is. Yes, Todd. Yeah, I was like uh, like Paulie. I thought that uh, that meant that someone just was trying to get past some kind of a problem that they they had growing up or something like that. I didn't know it was about taking strokes off of what you're expected to finish for par. Oh wait, you thought somebody who said they had a handicap they had some kind of physical disability of some sort that they were trying to overcome. And but I didn't understand what what two off would or four off of that would. You're be not making a joke, right? No, I'm being serious because I didn't, I didn't really watch golf at all. I would watch with my grandfather in their apartment building. And when I was a kid, I didn't understand what that term meant at all. And I still couldn't define it clearly. I know it doesn't mean that. It means something after having getting close to what par for the course would be yeah. and adding strokes based on you're not being that good at golf. I have a problem sometimes when it comes to the betting odds where somebody says it's seven to two and then another one is three, <laughs> three to one. And then you go, which one's better? And I go like, I don't know. I, I, Maybe that's why I didn't, you know, I don't continue to gamble. People don't like admitting they don't know things, though. A lot of people yeah, just go, yeah, nah. go yeah, 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 yeah. I love like, the under. I can't exactly explain what horse handicapping is, but I know, like, oh, he's a handicapper. <laughs> you know, I've said that term my whole life, not knowing exactly. Yeah. I would love to be an auto mechanic who knew exactly what they were talking about, just to see the number of times that people come in and act like I do when I go to have somebody work on my car. When they'll go, they just start spewing stuff, and you're going, yep, all right. And then you wonder... They could slip in anything. And I'd go, yep, I agree. Yeah, the uh, compressor, combustible compressor with a double shot of whatever, four on the floor, pull a whole shot. Yep, all of those things. All right, 19 after the hour. We'll take a break. Chris Mad Dog Russo on loan from uh, Mad Dog's uh, channel on Sirius XM. And also he uh, hosts a show on MLB Network. We'll get his thoughts on baseball. And this could get uglier, believe it or not. 20 after the hour. Not the interview with Mad Dog. Just what's going on with baseball's owners and players. 20 after the hour. We'll get to phone calls as well. This is the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app, by searching FSR. We'll get to your phone calls coming up, 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address, dp at danpatrick.com. McLovin, are you going to settle on a poll question, or are we going to wait a little bit? We're going to wait a little bit, because I have even stupider poll questions coming up. Oh, well done. Doug Williams, former Grambling, Tampa Bay, Washington quarterback, also played in the USFL, won a Super Bowl. Doug will join us coming up next hour, has a movie based on his life. And uh, the great writer, comedian, producer, Director Judd Apatow has got a new movie, The King of Staten Island. This guy was the king of New York with Mike Francesa for a long time on WFAN. He's Chris Russo, still rolling on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM. You can hear his show, Mad Dog Unleashed, every weekday afternoon at 3. And he's on the MLB Network show, High Heat, with Christopher Russo. And we say good morning to Mad Dog. Hello, Fal. How are you? Um, Hello, Danny Boy. You know what I've been totally into lately? And I've watched it nine million times. It's right up your alley. Have you seen that Laurel Canyon show on Epics, that two-part thing on the late 60s with music in Southern California? Have you watched that yet? Yes, I have watched it. There's been a couple on that. Uh, there was a uh, David Crosby has a, a bio yeah, on him yeah. as well about that whole region and all the music that was uh, birthed there in, in Laurel Canyon. Man, it's been good. Uh, do you, do you, oh, do you, oh, God, I can't. Daniel. I can't get enough of it. I, I, I'm a little, and I'm a little too young. I was 10 years old with Woodstock. Uh, Eddie Coleman, my pal, was at Woodstock. A little too young, but boy, oh boy, I can't get enough of that with 
you know, the birds, CSN, of course, Morrison, Jackson Brown, who I love anyway. Oh, I can't get up. I figured you'd be into that because that's right up your alley. So how, how are you? I'm Long good. Time that. Things good? Let's go yeah. Uh, your first concert. What was it? First concert was the Outlaws. In the, no, I'm sorry. Loggins and Messina at, the, all, at Siena in 1970, <laughs> probably 1975. That was my first one. First time I saw Bruce was at the Palace Theater in Albany, May of 1978. I was 18. And let's see. The first time I saw The Who at Shea, and I saw Rolling Stones a thousand times, but I missed the big ones. And I didn't see Grateful Dead. I did not see uh, CSN. I, you know, I didn't see, obviously, Hendrix or The Doors. I missed some of those big ones, but at least I saw The Who and The Rolling Stones. I don't know if you missed anything not seeing The Grateful Dead. Just go to a Fish concert, and that's basically the same feeling yeah. there, dog. Good point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there was a period there I used to love those concerts, and I'm, I, I, I kind of wish I was around in 1969 because I would have ventured to Bethel, New York, and I would have been part of that half a million throng there uh, with uh, Woodstock. Anyway. Uh, where, do you stand, where did you uh, stand on the Jordan documentary? Oh, I loved it. Uh, I mean, I understand that he had final say and everything else, I mean, I loved it. Uh, I thought the Kerr one in episode nine was superb with his father. Um, you know, I thought the Piston stuff was great. I did a lot of shows based on that on the Monday with guests. You know, I did Rod Thorne after the first one with the and Lockery, his first coach. I did uh, that's two. I did Kevin. I did Chapuka. You know, he wasn't on the Bad Boys, but he knows the players. I did that. I mean, I did Van Gundy with the Knicks, you know, with the whole Nick thing. So I based a lot of my shows, and I know you did the same, on the Monday off the Jordan documentary. I had the director on. I know you did too. So I based a lot of it on that show, these shows that we have to do now without anything to talk about. And the Jordan documentary gave me a lot of content. And, you know, you and I lived it. Uh, I, my kids loved it. My 18-year-old and my 20-year-old, who are huge basketball fans, didn't see Jordan play, couldn't get enough of it Sunday at 9 o'clock. So that tells you how good it was, in my eyes. Would we allow that player to exist today on and off the court? Uh, probably not. You know, as far as, you know, being rough to his teammates and, you know, uh, sort of the, you know, not saying anything with the racial injustice going on. It's a little different today. The game would be a little different, too. I mean, he'd probably be better because – you know, you wouldn't be able to bang him around so much and you wouldn't be able to do some of the things Detroit did and the um, and the Knicks did. Uh, and, you know, I did Bob Wenzel, too. Here's a good story that you'll like, Danny, before we do the baseball. I had Wenzel on uh, because he recruited him. He was at Duke with Bill Foster when Jordan was coming out of high school. And I asked Wenzel about it. And the first time he saw him at the five-star camps, something else. And Wenzel went to South Carolina after the Duke days in 80 with Foster, and he recruited Jordan. And I said, really? Well, tell me. He said, yeah, I got him to go to campus. His two, his parents came to Columbia, and it's funny. We went to the governor's house, his mansion, and he had a basketball court, and all Jordan wanted to do as a 17-year-old was take the governor's kids out and play basketball in the basketball <laughs> court on the governor's mansion. Uh, listen, in my eyes, it's not even close. He's the best player of all time, in my eyes. We're talking to uh, Chris Mad Dog Russo, host of High Heat on MLB Network, and of course, uh, Mad Dog Radio, Sirius XM. We gonna have baseball? Yeah, I think we're. Yeah, I think we're gonna have baseball, Dan. I mean, I don't think it's gonna be a kumbaya moment necessarily. 
And I think that's what baseball needed was none of this mistrust with these negotiations right now and come out and play July 4th with an 80-game season. I think that moment is past. I don't think we're going to have that. Obviously, you can't get ready for July 4th. These sides, there's a lot of mistrust here. Uh, I think they'll figure something out. But I think the moment where they can sort of bring back America sports-wise is past, which is unfortunate. I think somebody's going to have to be the big boy in the room. Somebody's going to have to realize that, you know what, for the good of the world, we're going to have to come out and play, even if we have a deal we don't like. And I think that person's going to have to be the commissioner. Uh, I don't think the players are going to budge off this, uh, you know, 100%. I don't think the owners are going to sit there and be very happy about giving up, obviously, with no fans, giving up, um, you know, certain concessions as far as playing X amount of games without any fans, they're going to lose money. So it's going to be up to the commissioner to basically throw the bone to the players, allow them to get the full rated pay for the amount of games. And I think he's going to have to say not 50 games because people are not going to like that. But I think he's going to have to sit there and say, all right, we'll play a 65, 70 game schedule. We'll start July 10th, July 12th. And away we go. We'll pay him full rate. I think that is where we're on our way to as far as this uh, negotiation is concerned. Yeah, my concern is not this year as much as it is down the road. When you get this collective bargaining agreement, if I'm the players, and now all of a sudden you get this feeling of they want to control us with a salary cap, and you, you just start to hear things where, and baseball is not about, it's about the haves and the have-nots. I mean, we talk about Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. They make all this money. You know, the majority of your, your baseball union is making a million or less. And it feels like the owners are sort of catering to them to say, hey, we want you guys to get paid, but these big ticket items don't want to come back. Your thoughts on that? I think that was the the, was the pay scale scenario, which I think, uh, you know, didn't sit well with the players. I think your original point is 100 percent right. I think we got major problems after the 2021 season and that the agreements up in December of that year. And I'd be shocked if you're going to have uh, a lot of baseball right away after 2021, I can see a long dispute. This is another reason why if Manford gives them a, throws them a bone here, gives them a win. Remember, they got beat badly in that last CBA, yep. and everybody knows it. So if he gives them a win, maybe that soothes some you know, bitterness, and they get a little something done after 2021. But I do think you're 1,000% right. I think 2022 baseball – you know, is going to have some issues. We're not there yet, obviously, and I got to get through this season first. I do think you have a year. I don't think you're going to have fans. Um, and I do think that um, they need to not jam these games down the throat. Uh, we're going to play 50 games. That's it. They can't say that. They got to make the players feel at least have them buy in a bit. So that's why I think Manfred will be the guy uh, who'll be the big guy in the room. Uh, you know, uh, listen, I'm usually pro-owner, and I am here too, but i say two things that bother me, and I'll use it from both sides. I don't want to hear from Bill DeWitt. I don't want to hear from Tom Ricketts, who's said some things. I don't want to hear the guy from Arizona who went on radio station saying, you know, we don't have as much money as you think. I don't want to hear from them because you know, with the ticket refund policy, you got to go through page 58 <laughs> to get your money back with the ticket refunds, which is a disgrace, Danny. Yep. I mean, we know you're not going to play games. Give the money back. And a lot of these teams are maneuvering, which I can't stand. So I don't want to hear from them. But I also don't want to hear from the players 
who, you know, going to tell me on two things. Well, we are taking extraordinary risks by playing games. Well, if that's the case, well, then why was your proposals 114 games? They want more games. So you can't tell me it's a health risk if you want to play 114 games. And then I want to hear the players, Sean Doolittle, tell me, well, we're doing this for the future player who comes into the sport. That's why there's a line in the sand. They want to know who Kurt Flood was if they fell on him for crying out loud. So I don't want to hear from the owners about, you know, how broke they are. And I don't want to hear the players telling me that Norma Ray and Samuel Gumpers. None of them care about the future player. And the owner doesn't care. Nobody, you know, look at Atlanta, for instance. You know, they got that beautiful ballpark. Have you been to that village around that ballpark in Atlanta? Yes. They got shops, restaurants, and I'm sure Liberty Media, and they own Sirius, so I got to be careful. I'm sure sure Liberty Media has got some bids on those businesses around the ballpark. Nobody wins. The bottom line, it's a mess. The whole thing's a mess. Oh. When you first started out, when you when your people are saying, well, you got a voice that sounds like uh, I think it was George Vesey of the Times. It was a combination. Jerry Lewis, Archie Bunker and Daffy Duck. Yeah. Now, this is in the New York Times that they're yeah. saying this. What did that do? Let him in, too. If you ever seen that for that one appearance I did on Letterman, the first one. Yeah. He spent seven minutes making fun of my voice. <laughs> hey, look, honey, they gave Donald Duck a show. And that was his famous line. Yeah, you're right. That voice, uh, you know, has always it served me well once you get used to it. But, it, you know, here's the key, Dan. You know this. You did. Uh, you have to be able to make fun of yourself a little bit. Yeah. And so, you know, listen, make fun of me all you want. Just put the radio tuned in to all the stations I worked at all these years. That's the bottom line. Do you remember your first show that you that you and Mike co-hosted? Yeah. Oh, I did. Yeah, I remember the first show I've ever I ever did as a talk show I was in Jacksonville in '83, and the boss's son worked with me on a Saturday morning. It was in March of '83, and he was a big wrestling fan, so that was a disaster. I'll be, be talking Ric Flair, who I had no idea who it was. <laughs> the first show, the first show was with Mike was in uh, Labor Day of '89, and Brandon Steiner of Steiner Sports brought over sweaters to, you know, basically inaugurate the first Mike and the Mad Dog show. And all the FAN employees were in the studio watching Mike and I start on that at the day after Labor Day. Remember, that was right after Bart Giamatti died. So, you know, we had a, you know, we had the Rose thing and we yeah. had Giamatti. So we had something, you know, a terrible story, but we had a big topic right out of the gate. But that is where I remembered it was the day after Labor Day and it was 1989. And nobody had we had never done a show together. Uh, we didn't know each other that well. Franklin had screwed up his contract, the late Pete Franklin, and he left. And Mark Mason decided to throw Mike and me on together. And, you know, it was uh, it was a different time. Were you doing Sports Center in 89, by the way, with Oberman? I think I just got there. I, I left CNN. I didn't start with Keith until a few years in. So because we, we used to have you on, you remember at the Super Bowl, yeah. you were always the first guest all week. Or NBA Finals. That. I remember NBA Finals. That finals. I, I get yeah, 93, yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. We, had, yeah, uh, you know, we did the Chicago Phoenix. Oh, all the time. You, used to, you were a big Mike and the Mad Dog fan, and you came on constantly. Yeah. I thought you were on right around the same time we were. So you started with Oberman a little later. Okay. Well, I remember telling you that you were working weekends at the fan. And yes, was. I was peeling off wallpaper in my house in West I Hartford. And I was listening to Dog, and my wife goes, 
who is that and how did he get that job? And I said, that's Mad Dog Russo. And she goes, that voice? And I said, yeah. I said, but that is, it's different than other voices. But she. Uh, 100%. The first guy I ever worked for was uh, Gene Burns, who was a great talk show host who passed away. He worked at uh, RKO in Boston, OR in New York, and he hired me at, um, uh, at KIS in Orlando. So did Mike Geyer, who's passed away too. He was the GM, and Geyer put Bob Trumpy on here in Cincinnati after Trumpy retired. He gave him a sports talk show on LW in Cincinnati. So he knew sports talk stuff. And they said the same thing. Chris, listen, your voice is a problem, especially in Central Florida. You're a New Yorker. Yeah, it's going to take some getting used to. But, you know, you've got a goofy delivery. Screw up all the languages and all the words you want. <laughs> just, just go on there and do a sports talk show, and we'll see what happens. You know, it's funny. The inaugural – I went down to Orlando in 83 to do two shows on the weekend – as sort of, you know, audition shows because they were looking to hire a sports talk guy during the week. And the first day I went down there, they put me on Sunday night, 8 to 10. I did not get one call. <laughs> so if you can do Sunday night in Orlando, Florida in 19, this would have been in 84. In 1984, without a call for two hours and you can somehow get through the show, you can do sports talk. I don't mind. You can do sports talk. Oh, it's good to talk to you, dog. You're the man, Danny. How you doing? Everything okay? I haven't seen you in a long time. Things good? Everything's good. Everything's good. No no complaints. I think I saw you at the All-Star Game in D.C. was the last time I saw you. Last time. And I, every time I see somebody struggle uh, at uh, with these post-celebratory championships on the stage with all these players, whether it's football or basketball, <laughs> I think of Paul Dan Patrick. How many, times, how many times you have to sit up there and try to do shows oh. with everybody celebrating a championship? It wasn't easy. Hey, we'll uh, we'll come visit you one of these days. It's serious. Good boy, Danny. Thanks. Thank you, buddy. That's uh, Mad Dog Russo. You can uh, listen to him on uh, the Mad Dog uh, channel, Sirius XM, and also uh, High Heat on MLB Network. We'll come back. Play of the Day is next here on the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app, at FSR, or stream us live every day at youtube.com slash the Dan Patrick Show. You gotta make up your mind. Do you want fans or do you not want fans? Because I get the feeling these golfers are like, oh, I gotta deal with these fans, or somebody's yelling, get in the hole. Play of the day, play of the day is brought to you by Legal Zoom. Need to make it legal? Make it legalzoom.com. They have uh, set up the right estate plan without leaving your home. Take care of your family today. The right estate plan at legalzoom.com. McLovin? What's the poll question okay. we're going with? This is an oldie but goodie. We've done this one before. With the Charles Schwab Challenge being such a big tournament, would you rather win five regular golf tournaments in a year or just one major? So I'll go five to one ratio. Ooh. There. Okay, what's the major? It doesn't matter. because. Uh, well, I'll take the Masters. I can't guarantee you the Masters. It's, well, you're no, going to roll you the do. dice, you might get the PGA. <laughs> oh. But you don't know what you... I'm just giving you one major. I can't give you the Masters. Okay. But at the end of the day, they count majors, you know. I know PGA is the same. But if I won the Players' Championship as part, can I pick my five events that I'm going to win if I'm not going to win a major? I tell you, the casual fan, I know the TPC is a big deal, but it's still not a major, though. Oh, I know, but if I can win the Players' Championship, which is as close as we have to another major, and, and I get four other events that I can pick when I'm winning, then I would probably do that. Okay. Instead of 
taking my chance that I'm going to win the PGA. I just ripped four pieces of paper and, and put the U.S. Open, British Open, PGA, and Masters, uh, sprinkled them up, and then Seton picked one out. So this would be the one you'd have. Okay, which the one I'm winning? And here we go. Big drum roll. And the major that I am winning is... Masters champion, Dan Patrick. Yes! Thank you, thank you. That's worth the gamble. I'll take it. I'll take the Masters over uh, five tournament events. But only that. That'd be the only event I would take. Is this one going to be a little elevated since it's the first one back? Oh, yes. Well, it's elevated because, for a variety of reasons. The placement in the sports calendar here, the weather, and everything else that's going to be surrounding it at the time, with our fans going to be allowed to go to Augusta by then. Yeah, I don't know where we're going to be in September. Like, if you look where, where we've been in the last three months to where we're going to be in three months from now, that's what I wondered about this with the NBA. I, I don't know if people are surprised like I am. It felt like, and I was giving the Commissioner Silver a lot of credit. It was like, hey, they got it all buttoned up. Seems like everybody's on the same page. Nothing's leaked out. You got Chris Paul and some of the power brokers involved in this. And then all of a sudden they go, and we're going to start in Orlando, and this is what it means, and you can't get out of the bubble, uh, and you're going to be down there as much as three months if your team continues to win. Then all of a sudden you go, oh, here's a report, 40 to 50 players, not quite sure if they want to go to Orlando. I'm going, wait a minute, how does that happen that you don't realize that 40 to 50 players, which is a lot in the NBA, considering you have 22 teams, if you do the math, I got 40 or 50 players who aren't quite sure if they want to go through this. And the better you are, the longer you play, the longer you're quarantined there. My point is, let's say we get to September. Why, why don't we look at the Eastern Conference, Western Conference? Are we going to be able to hold those in the arenas with these two teams that are in the Eastern Conference Finals and the Western Conference Finals? Why do I have to have Orlando as the be-all, end-all? If you want to start there, can I get to September and then I have the Western Conference Finals, let's say it's the Lakers and Rockets, and those two teams are going to be going back and forth, chartered planes, no fans in the arena, but now I have a true home court advantage. The travel is controlled. I just think we're trying to solve everything in the moment instead of looking at this big picture. Where are we going to be in three months? Are we going to have fans? How many fans? Where are we going to be? Is there another wave of the coronavirus? Maybe there's not. But that's the plan that I would want to have. If Toronto plays Philadelphia for the Eastern Conference Finals or Milwaukee or whoever it is, Milwaukee to Toronto, Toronto to Milwaukee, it's not that far. Now, when we get to the NBA Finals, that'll be a little trickier, but you have private planes, private hotels, and if no fans are there, then at least I have a home court advantage. Then at least there's we've played this season for something, the regular season, and that's a home court advantage. And I think that that's important. But I, don't wanna, I, I just don't want it under one umbrella where we go, yeah, and this is going to work. Everybody's going to be here for three and a half months. How long before? I've been in Orlando going to Disney World with the kids. That wears off after about four days. I want to go home after four days. Hey, why don't you go outside and play with the kids in the pool? Okay. All right. 
hey, we're going to go back uh, to Disney World. We're going to go to, and then to Universal. We, okay. And then you go, God, it's so hot. I need to go home. Yeah, see. Somebody was saying that you finally realized just how small of a world it is after all. <laughs> it's a small world. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I think that novelty is going to wear off. And then you can't get out of the bubble. And then they're going to quarantine the media. If they go, they have to stay there for three and a half months. I just think we're going to be at a point in September where we would be able to travel. And you could have the Eastern Conference, Western Conference finals and have those games played. That's just my gut feeling with it. But I was shocked when I saw the number. I think it was Brian Windhorst, or maybe it was uh, Woj, who said... 40 to 50 players aren't quite sure if they want to come back and play. And if my team has no chance of winning a championship, I don't want to go. If I'm on the, if I play for San Antonio and LaMarcus Aldridge just went down with uh, surgery, I don't want to go to Orlando. Now you might say, well, you're only going to be there for a couple of weeks. I got to have what three weeks to get ready for what two weeks to play. I don't, I don't need to go to Orlando. I'm good. But can I get paid? Yeah, Paul. LaMarcus probably got voluntary surgery. Just a quick cleanup <laughs> of the shoulder. Didn't even need it. Well, you got uh, Bojan Bogdanovic with the Jazz. He had wrist surgery. And he's had a great year. He's down. I don't know. All right, coming up, Pete Carroll says he had a coach call about Colin Kaepernick. Why didn't Pete Carroll sign Colin Kaepernick? And Doug Williams, the former Super Bowl winning quarterback, will join us as well. 